Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend Ann Chavruta, your Dana Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Moed Katan, daf Yud Zion, page 17. So we still have some narrative that's continuing from, let's say, to illustrate the halacha from two days ago. So what's going on here is Rabbi Yehuda says to Rabbi Barbarchana, and this Rabbi Yehuda is Rabbi Yehuda Bar Yecheskel. He was one of the Amorayim in the second generation. He learned under both Rav and Shmuel, and they spoke well of him. Shmuel in particular, we've got citations, you know, where Shmuel spoke well of him. And then when Shmuel passed away, Rav Yehuda was appointed the head of Nahar Da'ah, the yeshiva in Nahar Da'ah, in his stead, and then eventually moved the yeshiva to Pompadita, which apparently was his hometown. And then, of course, it stayed, yeshiva stayed in Pompadita for 700 years. So that's a pretty good legacy. Um we know a little bit about him, right? That his he was very pious, very dedicated to Torah study. He lived in poverty, at least until the point that he was appointed the head of the yeshiva. Um, and he had a great number of students in the third generation, including his son, Rav Yitzchak, who was Rav Yitzchak Yehuda, Rav Yehuda. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, I mean, we come across him. You know, he's not, he's not a, an unusual name. But I just wanted to clarify because... Even on my first read, I said, wait, is this Rav Yudha Nasi? And then I realized it doesn't make sense because Rav Yudha Nasi could not have been talking to Rabbi Barbarchana. So Rav Yudha Bar Yechezkel. In any case, Rav Yudha Bar Yechezkel says to Rabbi Barbarchana, have you heard anything about, now, the, the about is the part that I didn't read yet on the daf, which is about if a Torah scholar um, is, is executing a judgment on himself, right, which is not exactly the, so clear cut, right, in terms of the ethics of it. And then what happens is there's a case of a Torah scholar with a bad reputation. He was, you know, reported to not be doing things the right way. And so then they said, should we excommunicate him or not? And they thought that it was not an option to excommunicate him because he was so needed in the academy, meaning they needed him because of his authority. And he's not named, which I think is a key point here, right? Like they don't want to excommunicate him, but also they don't want to not excommunicate him because it's a chilul Hashem when a Torah scholar acts in a way that is, you know, reprehensible. So in light of all that, right, we jump right in here with Rabbi Yehuda saying to Rabbi Barachana, did you hear anything about this? And Rabbi Barachana says back, This is what Rabbi Yochanan said, So he cites this verse from the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, that from the priests were uh, lips um, should keep knowledge and that they should seek Torah at his mouth, at the Kohen's mouth, right? Because he is a messenger, in this case, Malach, meaning messenger, not meaning angel, of God. Now, what that means then is that the, the verse is teaching im domaha rav lamalach lamalach Hashem yivakshu Torah mipiv Torah mipiv meaning if the teacher is like a malach, now now the play on words is that if he's like an angel of God, then you should look out for the, you should seek out the Torah that he's teaching. But if he's not like a malach, meaning if he's not pure, upright, straightforward, you know, single-minded in his pursuit of the good, then do not seek Torah from him. Meaning the fact that he's knowledgeable is not enough. Um, so I think that, you know, in terms of the ethics, I think we all relate to this quite well in terms of saying, you know, 
just because somebody can be knowledgeable, that doesn't make them pious and it doesn't make them righteous and it doesn't make them good teachers or people that we want, you know, uh, being in a position of influence. So based on this, then what happened? Shmate Rav Yehuda. So um, Shamte Rav Yehuda um, ostracizes him, right? And again, we still don't have his name. Basov after a Echlash Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda took ill, right? He became weak. And the sages came to after to ask after him, like to make sure he was okay, to see how he was doing. And this guy, the guy he'd excommunicated because he was being disreputable, whatever, came along as well. And when he saw him, Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda, when Rebuda saw him, that this ostracized person, he laughed. Amar So now the ostracized scholar says to him, Lo It's not enough that you excommunicated me? You also have to laugh at me? Amar I'm not laughing at you, says Rabbi Huda. Rather, he says, rather, I'm happy that I'm going to the other world, meaning Olam Haba, meaning he's really not doing very well. And I'm, I'm happy that he didn't, it's an interesting construction, that I didn't flatter you, even such a great person as you. I didn't, Hanifa is flattery, um, but I didn't flatter even such a great person as you, meaning he acted in accord with the halacha. He kept to the ethics of what the halacha teaches that here's somebody who, you know, was very knowledgeable and really a member of Chazal, but was not um, righteous enough in his conduct. I mean, it sounds like he, it's not just that. I mean, he was, he was negative. It's not that he was like, you know, not so great, but it was okay. He was doing the wrong things. And so then Rabbi Huda is glad he's taking um, comfort, I guess, in the fact that he did the right thing when it came to this guy. So Rabbi Huda dies. So then he's died. He died. So now the guy, the ostracized um, Rav, comes to the Beit Midrash and he says to them, to them, the sages who are in the Beit Midrash, Truly, meaning, release me, let me go from this ostracization. We don't have anybody here who's as great as a prominent or eminent or whatever the right word is here, you know, who has the stature of Rev Yehuda to undo his ostracizing of you. They say, go to Rev Yehuda Nesiyah. Should, who should not be confused with Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Yehuda Nasiya in Eretz Yisrael, and he's the only one who can let you go, who can release you from this being ostracized. Azal lekame, Azal lekame. So the scholar comes to Rabbi Yehuda Nasiya. It's interesting how much effort he's making, right? Meaning he's traveling. It's a big deal. Ami puk badine. So Rabbi Yehuda Nasiya says to Rabbi Ami, go and check into this case. And Rabbi Yudinasiya says, if it is necessary to let him go, meaning that he shouldn't be still under this decree of being ostracized, then release him. Meaning he's Rabbi Yudinasiya is delegating to Rabbi Ami that he can that he can do it on his behalf. So Rabbi Ami indeed examines the case. 
and he decides that yes, it's he should release him from being ostracized. Ahmad Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani Al Raglav. So Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani stands on his feet, right? Meaning he he rose up on his feet. He stood up and said, He says, if there is a shifcha, if there is a servant, a female servant, in the house of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, who once ostracized another person, meaning if she shunned somebody, then the sages did not um, undo her decree, right? They didn't treat it lightly. They treated it seriously. And they didn't undo it until three years had passed. Um, And all the more so, right? Meaning here we've got a decree of ostracism that's on this guy because of Rabbi Yehuda Bar Yechezkel, who is a, he's not a maidservant, right? He's not a shifcha. He's an eminent rabbi. And so Shmuel Bar Nachmani says, we have to take this serial seriously and we cannot release this scholar. So then Rabbi Zera says, well, Amar Rabbi Zera, so what made him, meaning what made Shmuel Bar Nachmani say all this, right? Because for many years, he himself was not involved in this kind of discussion. Lonely by So they, the conclusion is that they don't have to release him. It's not necessary to release him. And the fact that he shows up on that day, whatever, so is considered, you know, coincidental. And um, uh, it's not coincidental. I'm sorry I've said this wrong. Um, and rather, they should, you know, take it as, um, you know, um, divine providence. Lo Sharila, they didn't. They did not release them. And then Nafi Kibachi Ba'azil. So he cries. The the ostracized scholar cries and leaves in tears. And then the story gets a little bit weirder, and I'm not going to read it inside for the interest of time. But basically a wasp comes, a wasp comes and stings him on his penis and he dies. And then because he was such a scholar, you know, they bury him in a set in a setting in the burial ground where in fact the pious were buried. And then it says the caves did not accept him, and a snake stood there and wouldn't let him in. Wouldn't let them in. And then they took him to the cave of the judges, Lamarata de Daine, and there they accepted him, and he was able to be buried there. Um, so I feel like this is a pretty, I don't know, extreme case where I have to assume that the behavior that he did was not incidental. Right? We're not told the details, presumably to preserve some measure of dignity of this person. We don't know his name. We might know his name in other stories or other, you know, halachot through shas, but we don't know that this person is that same person as elsewhere. Again, I assume to preserve his dignity. And then there's this crazy ending to his life <coughs> where, again, I feel like all of this detail is presented so we understand just how strongly we must, you know, protect and guard against this kind of disreputable or disrespectful behavior. And at the same time, I don't think this is the equivalent of like, I don't know, not clapping at the end of a speech or not standing up for a scholar when he walks into the room. Like this seems to have been something pretty severe. Um, yeah, I look, I think overall, it's a very, very interesting, uh, you know, story. And I think shows sort of the, 
first of all, that, you know, insults were taken, bad behavior was taken seriously, but also that like this notion of being excommunicated was not something, you know, little, um, you know, and it was taken very seriously, even could follow a person, you know, after the person who excommunicated them died, like, it's not like you somehow were sort of released, um, and even follows that person who was excommunicated to death, like it's, it's, you know, on the one hand, you sort of get a sense that there's like a lot of excommunicating happening. <laughs> from Ted's side. It's like, oh, you insulted me, you're excommunicated. But I think this story shows you, um, you know, how serious it really is. And this is no 30 days, right? If there's a default right. of 30 days, this is not that. This is, this is bigger and badder than that. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, but I, I, I you know, it's, it, Overall, an interesting story and interesting how it keeps going and going and going. Um, I'm going to jump down to Ahmed Bet, uh, where we get into a discussion here about the Avel and a priest, right? Tana. A priest and a mourner are allowed to cut their hair on Chalamoy. So the Gemara says, what's the circumstances that a mourner could cut their hair on Chalamoy? So maybe it's that the eighth in other words, they sit Shiva for the first seven days, right? And then on day eight, it's actually, you know, the Arab of the Regal. Well, he shouldn't have a problem. He should be able to cut his hair on that eighth day. Maybe the eighth day Shabbat. So he couldn't cut his hair on the seventh because he was still in that immediate period of, of mourning. The eighth day is on Shabbat. Then Sunday is Chag. And Really cut his hair would be Monday. Shabbat. But if this is the case, it says maybe he really should have just cut his hair on, on Friday. Because Rafisa says the name of Rabina and the name of Shela. So what's the halacha according to Abishmuel? Okay, let's say he dies and is buried for seven days before the festival, right before the Chag, right? The, the Avel has basically completed the seven-day mourning period, but he's also regarded as to having begun the 30-day mourning period, and then the Chag actually cancels out the 30-day mourning period, and we hold by this today also. So the Chachamim agree with Abishol that when the eighth day occurs on Shabbat, right, which is, the, which is an Arab Chag, then he could actually cut his hair on Arab uh, on uh, on Friday because basically there's no way that he could have cut his hair on the eighth day and he's actually allowed to cut his hair on the seventh day. So then the Gemara says, So they say no, right? This brisa is necessary. The, the case is where the seventh day occurs on Shabbat, which is the eve of the festival. In other words, that's the case that this brisa is talking about. So in other words, are you going to even push it back and say, you know, so the eighth day is really the first day of Chag, so we can't cut it then. The seventh day falls out on Shabbat, right? That eighth day of Chag is Sunday, but it's Chag. The Arab, the seventh day is Shabbat, so we're going to say, yeah, he could have cut it on the seventh day because of Arab Chag, but the seventh day now is really Shabbat. So the question is, are we really going to push it to the sixth day? It seems no. So therefore, the first time he could really cut it would be day nine, technically from the burial, which would be on, uh, which would be on Monday. 
And then the Gemara goes on. Tana Barat Savar Lake Abashmol. The Tana of the Breita, who allows the mourner, the Avel, to basically cut their hair on Cholamoy, holds according to Abashmol. The Amar, Miksadayom Kukulo, right? Because Abashmol holds that when we have legal questions, basically part of the day is like the entire day. The Yom Shvi Olelo Lakana Lakan. So the seventh day can count as both. It can count as the final day of mourning. It can count as the beginning of the 30-day period of mourning. And if it's Shabbat, then like he's just, you know, he was prevented from doing it. And so therefore he can cut his hair on Cholomoy. The Tana of our Mishnah, right, who doesn't mention that a, that a mourner could actually cut his hair on Cholomoy, right? He holds like Rabbanan. The Amri, what do the rabbis say? Lo amrina miksat hayom kakulo. They don't hold that part of the day is equal to a full day. And the rabbis told you actually have to complete a full seven days of shiva. And therefore, he wouldn't be allowed to cut his hair, right? Uh, even after the, the chag, he would actually have to complete the full 30-day mourning period. So I think we get into sort of this interesting notion of sort of like some of these questions of like, when Chag interrupts the seven-day or the 30-day period, what happens, right? Like what, you know, how how does it all end? And we see Abba Shaul sort of has a particular leniency, right? That you could, you know, because the leniency is you can basically now cut the hair on Chalamoy. The rabbis do not hold by this leniency. And basically this person would not be allowed to cut until after uh until after all of Cholomoy, until those seven days of either Pesach or Sukkot is, um, is completed. But it's an interesting halachic discussion because it really gets into this issue of how can you count that seventh day? Can the seventh day really be considered part of the 30th day? And so therefore, we'll even allow a little earlier that in the 30-day period, you could cut your hair if there was a great need. Or do we say it has to be a full completed seven days? And if you're going to hold it on the seventh day, he should have been allowed to cut his hair. That's why Abba Shaul is going to say, okay, we'll allow it then on Cholomoy. Whereas the rabbis are going to say, no, it had to be a full, complete seven days. And Chag starts, so he really just never had an opportunity to cut it anyways. And therefore, he's going to have to wait until after Chag. Um, he'll have to wait until after Chag altogether. Um, and again, I think it's, you know, this this particular halacha is interesting because one of the things that we've talked about is that the laws of Avelut seem to align with the laws of uh, of uh, Chalamoid, right? In other words, what you're allowed to do in Chalamoid or not allowed to do in Chalamoid aligns with what the mourner is allowed to do or not allowed to do on Chalamoid. But this particular case is sort of like, you know, uh, both of those things meeting together, right? What do we do about an Avel and what activities is he allowed to do on Chalamoid itself? And so then we get these two opinions, one of Abishal, one of the Chachamim, with very different answers about what the mourner can do on Chalamoid itself. So that's what I also, it's like the two things coming together and, you know, then having to figure that out. I think that there are more areas of Halacha where counting ends up being relevant than we necessarily think of if we started listing them off, right? Meaning, I think of, let's say, Nida. Let's say, yeah, how many hours you wait for Kashrut. Right, all of two months' hours based on counting. It's all based on counting. Right, all based on counting. We don't. We do some of that today, Duh. right? 
Um, all of Avelut is based on counting. What else do we have that's based on counting like that? Like counting. Well, Sirata Omer is the obvious Sirata one, Omer. right? In right. terms of, in terms of like where the the whole essence of it is the count. But I feel like, you know, if somebody were to wake me up in the middle of the night and talk to me about how morning works, and I know, of course, we have these, you know, day, you know, um, allotted times for each segment of morning, but I would not have paid, I would not automatically, intuitively think about exactly this, like if it's this day versus that day and so on, the, the very great attention that is taking to the, to the count here. And I think it's, you know, I think it's very often the essence of the halacha, because if you don't know the right day, then you're in trouble. So, you know, I guess also, Yardina, everything we do about Yantif, everything that we do about Shabbat, we're always counting off. I just don't think of it that way because we have built-in calendars. So you don't need to like stop and do your own counting. But when it comes to your own status with regard to the rest of everything else, then you do have to. And that's exactly what's happening here. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.